the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Pastor Scott Show. Always good to be with you from 3 to 5. You know, one of the things that you've got to be sure about and one of the areas that we want to encourage you in as you listen is never give up on the ability of Christ to change your life or to change the life of someone you love, no matter how difficult those circumstances are, and to realize that God can use you and God can use each one of us uh, when we turn to Christ to do amazing things, that that's what grace is about, that it's real, it's tangible, it's for everybody, and he gives it to all who come to him. I got a great guest with us. His name is Pastor James Croon. He's the lead pastor at Seattle's Risen Church. He's a adjunct professor at Northwest University, and he's also the pastoral care and recovery director at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Let's welcome to the Pastor Scott Show, uh, Pastor James Croon. Pastor, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Oh, well, thank you, Pastor Scott. Glad to be here. Well, great to have you. You know, we uh, we saw your story in Christianity Today recently, and, you know, one of the things I think that is so wonderful about our, our Lord is that when we are saved, we are not simply just left to our own devices to figure it out, but God changes us, and we yeah. should never, never give up. Um, let's talk about that. First, uh, you know, how's the weather up there in Seattle? Is it all right? Oh, it's doing great. We've right now been in the 80s here for the last few days, and the bay's coming ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm asking because we got seven inches more rain than you did this year, oh, so uh, we're confused here yeah. in uh, L.A. All right, so let's, sides there, so. <laughs> let, let's talk about your what the Lord has done in your life. Uh, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Seattle? Yeah, actually, yes, I did grow up here. I was born in Nebraska, but uh, I don't know much about it. The, my family went down. My father was going to change jobs there, but I was born there, and before I was one, I was back here in Seattle. So Seattle is my my home base. Mm. And so you you ended up in Seattle. What was it like growing up for you? Uh, growing up was was uh, it was good, except for you know it, you know you have your your time you know you always have your troubled times of just growing up. Yeah. You know, my dad was um, was wasn't in, in my life at the time, so it was my mom and my sister and I. So. You know, so just your your typical growing up and just trying to kind of deal with the day to day obstacles of, you know, not having that that fatherly figure there to kind of guide you through some things and and being resorted to listening to peers and and other friends. So, yeah. And, you know, when you listen to your other peers and other friends, did you get uh, good advice or were you pulled in uh, other directions? Well, just like any, well, in the beginning, it seemed like it might have been a good advice, but it wasn't. So I was actually pulled into the wrong direction because it was a part of just not, you know, when you're growing up in, in this particular situation where you're, uh, you know, listening to the the ideas of others that are around you, their ideologies and so forth, what tends to happen is they start to label you and put you into a certain identity. So I was very confused about what my real true identity as as 
of who I was at the time. So it's it's one of those things to where, you know, at the time I was either rapping or in gangs or you're a, a dancer or whatever you are, that's what they equate you with. So mm. you never really clearly know who you actually are growing yeah. up. So as you were growing up, you the identity question I think is huge for people. We're, we're looking for that in so many different ways. I think that's behind a lot of the, the troubles we have. And it's, it's because we long for an identity. You know, we would say now in, in Christ, um, but we find our identity elsewhere. Was that, you know, what road did that end up taking you down? It took me down a pretty bad road because uh, quite naturally I got, I got um, tied up with gangs and cause it was a sense of family, mm-hmm. uh, sense of a connection and just having those that were there with you and, you know, you have this false, uh, this false feeling of, of security, which it, it ultimately isn't. But uh, you start getting egged on to doing things that you normally wouldn't do. Yeah. You know, us as men, we're, you know, us, we love to be affirmed. And so, you know, to be affirmed in doing something, whether right or wrong, you're, you're pushing forward. You know, you're, you're being geared to do it. So you find yourself in pretty bad predicaments where, you know, you find yourself selling drugs and, and uh, you know, in gang wars and different things such as that, you know. So it's... Uh, it got to a point to where, you know, it was very, I, I started to embrace the identity that yeah. I was labeled with and it led me down a pretty bad road at that point. Ellen, it becomes uh it becomes like family, right? The identity is and you're accepted and you're, like you said, uh, particularly as men, you know, we, we like the gold star, right? We like that approval. We like. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what you're always searching for. You're searching for that, that family. You want to be accepted. Everybody wants to be loved. They want to feel like they're a part of something. And when, something comes along that you remotely are attracted to just by seeing all the glitz and the glamour or the material things that surround it, you find yourself to start pulling into that. And next thing you know, you're, you're in a situation to where it could be very devastating in your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in your situation, you, you were, you, you talk about being involved in gangs and when you, when you read your story, pastor, you know, there's guns and there's violence and people getting shot and there's drugs and there's kind of the whole thing. Which, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if we don't understand, if many listeners, many listeners totally identify because they're living that out or their family members are. Some people, I think, want to turn their head away and say that's a rarity or that doesn't happen with very many people. But it happens a lot in our cities, uh, doesn't it? it? It does. It happens a lot. And especially within the culture that I'm in, you know, being a black American, um, you know, when you grow up in a certain in, in a certain type of environment, you don't really see much value in who you are. If, if that value, you, so what happens is, is if you don't find value in yourself, it's very hard to find it in someone else that's like you or looks like you. And so it makes it, it makes it almost um, as sad as this may sound, it makes it a little bit easier to, to attack or to, to fight against someone that's like you in a sense that you don't see value in yourself. So you don't see value in them. Mm. And so you're actually just fighting yourself because you just don't have that, that sense of, of meaning. I, I remember telling my mother, I said, you know, I don't, I didn't think that I would live to be 21 because I knew that I was living a life that, you know, it's either, you know, killed or be killed situations that I found myself in, you know, I've lost, came close to losing my life at one moment and it didn't stop. It didn't yeah. stop me wanting to still pursue this, this false idea of what I thought was life, I should say. Yeah. It, uh, I think a lot of people listening do relate to that and hear that. And, every, and if you're just not sure, we all do those kinds of things in different places, different ways. Yes. You, yes. Your experience uh, ultimately uh, uh, got you arrested and charged with some things. Uh, what were those things and what happened after that? 
Oh, it was reckless endangerment, uh, possession of firearms. And I went through this, and it's amazing how this, how this all came about. Uh, when I was charged with this, it was a, it was a long process, which means that it left me, I was out for a while before I had to turn myself in. And uh, I, I always had a sister that was always egging me about church. Hey, you know, going to church and, you know, and I, it, I always had a God conscience. I grew up going to church, but, you know, you know, I had a really um, skewed view or distorted view of who God was. And, and I look at everything as far as deeds. Well, as long as I'm doing the things that I think that God would want, not the things that I clearly knew, but mm. I had a very skewed view of understanding what that looks like. So that measure of God was in me. But uh, my sister kept pushing me towards that. And I found myself going to church and, and find myself giving myself to the Lord, which was a which was a, which was a blessing at that time. Uh, and unlike most people that do it just for a reason or to try to get out of trouble, mine was really something that was really solidified in my heart. And I knew the change when it when it happened. I knew that it that change it came. But when, I still went through the process of jail and so forth. So you yeah. went through that process. And at the same time, you also started uh, getting a theological education. Yes, uh, I did. Somebody was, in, yeah, invited you to do that. Yeah. My, the pastor, that I, he was actually a, a professor at A.L. Hardy Academy of Theology. And he had talked to me about it. And I and like most people that I know that are that are pastors and that that I knock the idea that many of them have come from families with a father and a grandfather were pastors. I didn't have that. So it really pushed me. I think it it was it worked to my advantage to really want to know who God is on my own. So I found myself reading books, going to half price bookstores. And and then I put eventually went into school and I just got I delved right into it. And I didn't look back from there and just kept kept wanting to know more and more about who God was. And I think that that's, uh, and the more I learned, the more I studied, the more my faith started to increase in knowing who he is. So You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Pastor James Croon. He's the lead pastor of Seattle's Risen Church. And we're talking about his story and also uh, what he's doing now at the Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. So you got saved and God changed your life. We were talking about identity how did you begin to sense your identity was now in Christ and not in yourself or in another way? Oh, that's a good question. It's almost, it's very, it's, it's, when I think about it, it's almost very similar to when, when Christ had asked the disciples, who do people think that I am? And when he asked, of course, they gave them different, the different, uh, uh, People, Elijah, Elijah, some say you are John the Baptist who came back and all these different things. But when Peter told him exactly who he was, he knew that he only had to know who he was because the father had given that knowledge of that. The powerful thing is after that is that he told him now he told him who he was. Hmm. And it was amazing when I, I heard that story, because that's almost very similar to how I knew who God was. In order for me to get to know my identity, to know who I was, I had to know who he was. And the minute that I, that I knew who he was, it's almost as if he told me, now this is who you are. And he actually gave me my identity. And so from that point on, my identity had totally changed. And I was able, and I was comfortable with who I am. Whereas before I was never comfortable with who I am because <laughs> I was whatever identity anyone saw me at that time. And I embraced that. And that's who I was, but it was, that's, that was probably my turning point after reading that scripture and already knowing that I was already feeling much different than I've always felt and knowing that now that I'm, I'm walking in a different path, I felt God giving me that identity that I am his, you know, so that's kind of how that came about. Did you um, feel, you know, how would you explain your, your understanding and how you felt about grace and forgiveness and, and hope for a different life? You thought you were, might be dead by 21, and now you have hope for something God's calling you to do. Good question. 
one way that I knew is that I found myself at a place to where I really felt God impressing upon my heart to make good on all the things that I've done that was wrong. Uh, the mm -hmm. women that I was involved with back in that time, I made a point to meet everyone and to and to express my asking them for to forgive me. Now, everything's consensual. We were together, but I knew that I wasn't the man that I should have been. And I went and I I made right by them. Um, everything, anything that I, any wrongs or different things that I've done throughout my life, I really felt like it was something that I had to change. And I, I remember sometimes I would drive just and tears would just come to my eyes, thinking of some of the things that I did in the past and hoping that there were some that I could meet that I, that I may be offended that I could reach out to. And, um, and I still do today, hoping that God would bring them in my path. But what I've come to find out is that through that, what it did is it gave me a different way of understanding how God works through those that, that are called to be his. And knowing that I, I was starting to, to interact, I was starting to walk in a, a way of forgiveness, but it was, it took a long time, uh, Pastor Scott, for me to forgive myself, mm -hmm. even through this process, yeah. because that was the, that was the main, that, that was the main thing that I was still having a problem trying to forgive all the things that I did. And I think that's why uh, I would always have these tears Whelming up in me. And when we speak about me working here now as, as a director here at the men's Re recovery program, I remember God pressing upon my part to repair the damage, to repair the damage. And I kept trying to figure that out because I'm thinking, okay, repairing the damage. And what I've come to find out is all of the damage, whether it was by me or by way of, or by way of any actions that I've done, that that was something I had to repair. So now I find myself working amongst men that are homeless, men that are dealing with uh, chronic addictions and all of these different things. And it's such a blessing to be in this area of ministry and, and working in the capacity of something. I'm on the other, other side of where I was before. And so God has really impressed upon me a lot. I mean, the knowledge of his word and working with him, going to school, eventually becoming an adjunct professor through the Northwest university and, um, yeah, so it's been a blessing. You know, I I don't know more I can uh, express it. Just it, it breaks me up just thinking about where he's brought me from. He's done so much in my life at this well, point. That, it's yeah. it's a blessing for all of us to hear it. You know, because we know that you know we read there's new life in Christ and you see things, but then we meet you, yeah. and uh, we meet people like you and who are doing great things. Uh, can yeah. I ask you about your sister? Your sister uh, stayed with you and was praying for you. Uh, yes. throughout this time, you know, uh, what was that like? Yeah. It was great. She actually gave me my first Bible too. Huh. It was a Thompson chain Bible. I remember the same, the Bible she gave me, but she kept pressing upon me to go. And I said, yeah, I said, okay, I'll go. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm listening to the word of God. All of a sudden I just felt this come over me. This, I just went up when the uh, invitation came, I walked up in tears and I, I, I accepted the Lord. And I knew that it wasn't just a passing thing because I, I really felt different. You know, what's amazing. I had a, and I got to tell you this story. I had a, a, you know, really super nice vehicle. I had all this music in it, you know, the typical, what you have when you're out there on the streets, just to have this persona. Yeah. Now, a lot of people thought I was crazy for this. I mean, it was a beautiful car. And I really felt that God wanted me to get rid of everything that I had. If I was going to follow him, I didn't want anything to remind me of my past. And I remember going to a car lot, I just got up, went to a car lot. The people that there thought I was crazy because I traded it over for a Dodge Caravan, just a regular caravan, nothing in it, just nothing special. And they were wondering, now, is this your car? Are you sure that you want to do this? <laughs> I said, this is my car. I had the title and everything. And I and I drove away from there, Pastor Scott, feeling very good about it. I had no yeah. regrets. Yeah. Went home, cleaned out my house, got rid of everything, pornography, alcohol, all these different things, and just, and just dumped it all. And 
from that point on, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is my life. My life has changed. And I had to do that by getting rid of the things that, that was the old me. So. Uh, that is a it's a beautiful thing. And I want to ask about your sister, because I want to encourage people to not give up. If there's somebody in your life that you're praying for, you're worried for, don't give up on them. Don't think oh. that Jesus is going to give up on them. Yeah, she was praying. And my stepmother, I had a stepmother that was always praying for me. You're talking about tears. She just, oh boy, she had crocodile tears when I told her that I had given my life to the Lord. She said, you know how long I've been praying for you, you know, and my sister, she was elated about it. And, you know, and so she, she you know, she helped me through that process of, of, of just making sure that I stayed on that path. And I had, a, it wasn't very, I didn't, it was, it was tough. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh yeah, you know, this great right. halo and everything great from that point on. But there were many times on the weekend, I would sit there and cry. And I had a pastor who's passed away, Pastor James Wardlow. Uh, I remember calling him at 12 o'clock at night on a Friday in tears. I said, I can't do, I don't know if I can do this because I'm so used to, these are the nights that I'm out and I'm just doing what I'm doing, hanging with my friends. And now I'm living alone. And I remember him coming out to me and uh, to my house and he stayed way over in Bellevue, which is quite a ways, a little ways from Seattle. And he took me out to Denny's and he sat there with me and talked that night. And that changed my life from that point on. And he said, you know, he said, you know, I want you to start going with me and my family. And we go do things like going to plays and doing different things. And and that helped me. It, it helped me that he walked alongside me. He was very being very incarnational in that point in my life where I really needed because I, I got to it. I, I mean, I was in tears. It's like I didn't know if I could do this. And yeah, and it and it. It worked out because there were those in my life that God placed in my life that could really work with me and walk alongside me. So it was a blessing. That's a critical thing for for us to realize as believers that we're we're called to be active in the lives of other people as in making disciples, exactly, uh, and to walk alongside with them, even if we don't know everything that's going on, we can walk with people. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you're doing that now. You are the uh, director of pastoral care and recovery at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, very similar to uh, LA's uh, Union Gospel Mission and San Diego's uh, Rescue Mission. Uh, tell us about that. Oh, it's it's just been a blessing here. Our program's a one year program, so we have guys that come in in here that are voluntarily. They go through phases, um, you know, three months, six months, and then there's a three month phase, different phases, and as they go through the program. They 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 go to they're required to go to church. They're required to go to three meetings outside of the, the recovery, um, and and they also have to um, they also have to go through a process uh, called the Genesis process, where we're working with them on learning about their addiction and knowing that it's just a symptom of a cause, and knowing if there's something traumatic that's happening that moves them into the place of self medication, and they graduate. After they graduate, we help them get jobs, uh, housing. And eventually they go on and they they live very uh, they have they live great lives after that. In fact, um, our our success rate is pretty high here, mm-hmm. and I think we have that year to walk alongside them. And we don't have case managers; we have recovery program chaplains. These are men who are either pastors or used to be pastors. Are they they are elders of churches that are actually the ones that are working with them? So they're actually um, giving them the it's it's it's, it's Everything here we do is God sent is Christ centered. So they um, they they really there's a level of care here that is that is very genuine, and uh, and the guests that come here that are a part of the program they see it and mm. um, very well because of it. So yeah. and you, you talk about the success rate and that's so important. You know, in L.A., San Diego, homelessness is a huge issue. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. And, and here in Seattle, yeah, and same, yeah. yeah. But that there is success, and there's success with Christ, success with recovery, success in in re- working with people. I think to uh, remind them of their humanity, 
that they yeah. are loved. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank you for, for doing that. How would you, you know, and when you think about what you're doing now and as a pastor, of course, and, you know, Christians, um, you know, we often say, you know, what would it look like if we did something to help people? What advice would you give people to get up and actually go serve uh, in a mission like where you work or maybe just to uh, take somebody to Denny's who they know is struggling? What would be a, a great incentive for them? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in the scripture, we're, we're, we're called to serve. You know, we're not it's, uh, being a church or being a believer is just not being a spectator sport. We know yeah. that it's, we're called to serve. And in and, and whatever capacity, I mean, uh, the mission here is is actually funded by donors, by believers who are able to donate money to this. We don't take any gov- government uh, money, all donors. Mm. Um, and, and it's a blessing because even if you are not able or if you do not want to, if you're not at a, at a place or have the bandwidth to even volunteer, but to even help even even financially in that sense, too. But we have got people that come here all the time that are working, uh, helping the guys here with as being mentors. We always encourage people to, hey, come be a mentor to some of the guys. And, and they have sponsors and different ones. I would advise anyone to, you know, because many times we can just walk by and we can see all these things happening in our cities. And we think, oh, boy, when is somebody going to do something about it? But right. you know what? we can do something too. We can make some kind of effort. There is an effort that can be done by each and every one of us, you know, and, um, and I think God calls us to do that. I mean, I wouldn't have anybody do anything dangerous, like take, you know, just, you know, to go and just reach out to somebody who you don't, you know, and put yourself in a situation that would, that would put you in a, uh, in a bad spot. But if not, then connect with an organization that's already doing it and yeah. be a part of that. That's the best way to do it. I would say the renter just going out and just doing something because I hate for anybody to do anything haphazardly and, and put themselves in harm's way. But, yeah, I, I would encourage everyone, whether it's the mission or any other organization within the within the community to uh, try to make that happen and go out and, and serve. Yeah. yeah, go out and do it. Well, that's the that's great advice, uh, Pastor. Uh, Pastor James Croon is my guest. And can I pray for you before we're, we're done today? Please, yes. Uh, Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, for James and what you've done in his life uh, and the story. I thank you for his sister and his stepmom and others who uh, prayed for him and for all the ways that you reached him and for what you're doing in his life now. We pray, Lord, for his church. They have a new location. That I pray, Lord, that you bless the ministry, that it reaches people for Christ all over the Seattle area. We pray for the Seattle Union Gospel Mission and his work there in pastoral care and recovery. It's so critical. It always is, but right now, give him the strength that he needs. Give him the volunteers that he needs. We pray for the funding of all of that as well. We know that's important. And we pray for the church in his area and the church everywhere who's listening, that we would recognize that, number one, we should never give up, We that God can use us wherever whenever we turn our life to him, and there is an effort that we can make to impact the lives of other people that you've put around us in our lives or just around us in our cities. I thank you for James and what you've done in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, Pastor Scott. Hey, Pastor James Kroon, thank you for being with me today. And people can learn more about you by going to your church website, risenchurch.org. Yes. All right. Pastor, thanks for joining me on the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you, Pastor Scott. All right. And this is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay away. Stay tuned. Don't stay away. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. 
Now, back to the show. Have you ever had a situation in your life with somebody that you were praying for and you prayed for a long time and they finally came to the Lord and God changed their life? That's the story that we just heard from Pastor James Croon. I think it's a great story. And I think we should be encouraged because there's a lot of stories like that. I know there's a lot of you who are suffering because you're praying for your kids or maybe you're praying for your parents or grandparents or somebody else to come to Christ. And maybe they're just people who don't believe in Jesus, but they're living a decent life as far as those things go. But I know that there's a lot who you're worried about, a lot of people who you're worried about who are living a life that is dangerous, living a life where you're concerned that they're not going to be living their life pretty soon. That's uh, that's normal. Or maybe that's you. Something I think is completely wonderful about our faith is that we see people completely transformed and not just transformed so that they get done with addictions or other things, but so that they are then used by God and they have a tremendous life. They have a tremendous purpose in life. You heard Pastor James, and if you didn't get that, didn't hear that, if you're just tuning in, you know, get the podcast for the Pastor Scott Show. Go to kkla.com and look for our page or go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and get the podcast. You can also watch our show, by the way. We're live right now, live streaming at kkla.com. You know, listen to that story. And when you read about his story, he talks about his time with with gangs and uh, other things he was dealing with. And there's an identity issue that we talked about. And a lot of us, we struggle with identity. You know, a big part, I think, of what's happening in the the gender conversation, the conversations uh, about uh, that get really controversial in our world today, it's about identity. And it's about a threat to an identity that we build about ourselves that is not real that we want it to be real. And then we come up with things like, and it doesn't have to be gender issues. There's all kinds of, all of us have an identity, right? Sometimes our identity is our job. You know, I know a lot of people who, when they quit their job or they get fired, or we saw this a lot with the COVID, there are lots of people whose careers ended, that that industry no longer exists. Maybe some of you have suffered from that. You know, Sometimes people go through an identity crisis because you didn't really realize it while you were living it. But at some point you realize, oh, uh, my identity was wrapped up in my job or my relationship with somebody or, you know, whatever it was, my education or my finances were giving me. And all of that is something I think human beings want. We want to identify as something important. We want to be to feel like we matter. Well, the truth is, is you do matter. You do matter to the creator. You do matter to the one who loves you. You do matter to Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we push that off when we say, sometimes we push that off because we don't like it, but other times we push it off because we're saying, yeah, 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 I know that. Because we go to church and we hear the sermons and we hear the identity in Christ and we go, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. But, and then we want to add something else to it. Can I encourage you that the identity that we have in Christ, that is uh, that is the one that matters. That's the one that's going to carry you through every situation in your life. That's the one that's going to carry you through the difficult times. When you look at the book of Colossians, if you're looking for a Bible book about identity in Christ, your identity as a Christian, Colossians is a great one. By the way, this is Pastor Scott. You can give me a call at 888-528-2557. That's a number if you've got a story to share about 
you prayed for somebody for a long time and they came to Christ, 888-528-2557, or if you'd just like to join the conversation. Um, you know, we prayed for my great-grandmother a long time. She got saved when she was 90, 90 years old. She was she was in the home, right? It was a retirement place, but it was the home, right? But she was doing okay. She lived to be 101 and in a chapel in the retirement home. You ever go to these chapels, maybe with your church or maybe you've attended with somebody you know, uh, maybe you're sitting in one right now. You go to these retirement homes and sometimes they're assisted living, sometimes they're convalescent care, but you go and there's a chapel. And I used to do this quite a bit as a pastor. You go and you speak. And typically the people who are coming to these are people who grew up in church at some point. And you know, I used to go to one that was pretty big and it had it was a church service. In fact, for a while we were even talking about making it a regular church service and I would preach there every Sunday. And then the ownership of that place changed and they didn't like that idea. But, uh, you know, it was a church service, but everybody there was a Christian pretty much uh, or thought that they were if they weren't. And, you know, but then there are some people who come and they say, you know what, I want to get saved. I've baptized a few people in their 90s before. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. And, And that's just all part of not giving up and not getting to a point where you don't believe that God can save you. And I have been with believers who were so much into certain kinds of sin, violent crime or drugs, uh, different things that, you know, if that's your child or your brother or sister or somebody that you're close to, a friend, you know, you're worried about them constantly and it's easy to give up. Uh, Don't. Don't give up. In the book of Colossians, we get this in chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That's huge right there, because it's the the hollow and deceptive human philosophies that tell us that our identity can be our career, or our identity can be our our marriage, or the person that we're dating, or the, our identity can be the gangs that we're in. He talked about the gangs that he's in, and that's a big part of it. Did you know, and I, I was surprised to learn this. I worked, you might be surprised to learn this, I worked with uh, an organization that was working with gangs, gang ministry. And I got into that because I was helping some people have access to hospitals where there's trauma wards and where if somebody's getting shot, that's the hospital they take you to. And, you know, what I learned is that for gang members who are getting shot in some kind of a gang event, they go to the hospital and they're either going to die. And so somebody needs to tell them about Jesus right now. Or what's happening is they learn they're going to survive and they're making plans to kill the person who shot them, Right. And you want to intercede at that moment and say, that's the wrong direction for your life to go and do that. And there's a whole lot of things there. One of the things I learned, though, in this is that uh, gang behavior and other behaviors as well that have to do with identity, they can identify it in preschool. That sometimes it can be, you know, a four-year-old will say to another four-year-old, hey, if you go over and punch that kid in the face, you can be my friend. You know, and if that four-year-old is abused at home or parents are never around and they just don't have anybody and this other four-year-old might be their best friend, they're very tempted to go over and punch that other kid in the face. You know, they're four-year-olds and you're going to go, ah, you hit them in the face. But there's a dynamic that goes on there. 
uh, as young as that, where suddenly you begin the process of saying, hey, if I do things to please this person, if this person is pleased with my activity, even though what I did was wrong, and they became truly a friend, truly somebody who you did life with and enjoyed being with, even though there might be uh, some nefarious things going on, uh, that's a very, very attractive things to people. You know, we need relationships so badly. We need to be loved so much. We need to be accepted so much for some kind of identity for who we are. It's no wonder that we would join a gang or we would change our gender even to the extent of having surgeries or taking drugs or doing anything just because suddenly you get all this attention and suddenly you are somebody, right? Or we would get into a relationship with somebody who it's a bad relationship, but for some reason, maybe there's some prestige to it, or maybe that person has money or they got a nice car or they're pretty, or there's some reason that makes us feel good about ourselves. We do that all the time, but those things don't matter. You know, at the end of the day, what matters is your relationship with your creator. And the good news is, is your creator loves you and he wants to be with you. I was think that's the you know, incredible thing that we shouldn't miss. You know, what does God want from us? Well, he wants us to make disciples. He wants us to uh, love justice and mercy and, you know, do the right things and follow his commands. All of that is, is part of what God wants. But within all of that, God wants to be with you and he wants you to be with him. And by you, I mean you. And by you, I mean that person that you're thinking about when I say, who's that person that you're, you're thinking you might give up on? Who's that person who you think they're never coming to Christ? Who's that person who you think they're just going to die in this? You know, they might, but there's hope for them if they come to Christ. And so do not stop as long as they're alive. You pray for that person. You love that person. You do not give up. I know many of you have those stories, and it's amazing And look at Pastor James that we had on in the last segment. He now is giving back to people in Seattle in an environment where so many people, just like here in L.A. and in San Diego and in all the surrounding towns, the philosophy so often is we don't want to be with people. We don't want to help them in their addiction. We don't want to help them recover. And uh, we certainly don't want to give them Jesus. Uh, That's why his organization and why so many of the other rescue missions don't take money from the state because that money comes along with strings that says you can't tell them about Jesus or you can't require sobriety or have any kinds of rules. That doesn't work. It's not loving. It's not compassionate. It's all wrong. People who who are working in these places have a great opportunity to love and care for others because their identity is Christ, because it's not even about them. You've got that chance. We can talk about that more in a minute. I got to take a break. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome, everybody, back to the Pastor Scott Show last segment. What do you do to keep engaged with your faith? How do you make sure that you're just not just a spectator going to church on Sunday or watching it on the Internet or on your uh, smart TV or your phone on the weekend or maybe just skipping it once in a while until you find out you hardly ever go to church? 
You ever get in that habit? I know some sometimes we do. A lot of people are doing that. The consultants will tell you, at least one consultant that I worked with once for a church, they considered average regular church attendance. What would you say? What would you say regular church attendance? If you were going to do a survey of people who go to church, you know, you you obviously want a survey that's different from people who just go on Christmas and Easter versus people who go, you know, on holidays in general. Maybe you go on Mother's Day also, and maybe there's a couple other days. Uh, what would you say is considered regular church attendance? What would you think? The number here is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This consultant said uh, at once every six weeks, eight times a year. I suppose that includes Christmas and Easter. I can't remember if he uh, didn't count those. You know, I would probably just not count those. But once, uh, eight times a year, eight times a year going to church. And that's regular attendance for most Christians. You know, I would say that if that's where you are, you're probably not too rooted in your faith. Of course, it depends on the reason. Maybe you work Sundays, right? Maybe you have a job or a situation or you're homebound. There are reasons, right, that are different. But if you don't have any reason and it's just you get up on Sunday and you're like, oh, we should go to church today. And then it's a nice day and you say, or we can go to the beach today. And you go to the beach or you do whatever. My family today is at uh, Magic Mountain. That's where they are. And it's uh, 95 degrees and crowded. Nice and cool here in the studio. Um, and uh, they're having a good time. Uh, you know, but sometimes people do that on uh, Sundays instead of church or whatever. Or, you know, how committed are you? How do you get, make sure that you're rooted and built up in Christ? That's what the scriptures tell us that we should do for our identity in Christ. Colossians chapter two. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. How do you do that? 888-528-2557. Have you thought about how you do that? You know, a person who used to go to uh, my church, you know, one of his big things, which I think was impactful, is he would really ask people, you know, what is God doing in your life right now? And I can ask you that question. What's God doing in your life right now? And if you don't know, you know, if you haven't thought about it, then the next question is, well, where are you at? You know, are you are you rooted in your faith in Christ you know, if you don't know the answer, because the answer can be, well, God's doing these things. I'm praying more. I'm uh, being used by God more. I'm repenting of sins. I'm, you know, or the answer might be to be real honest and say, you know what? I'm not growing right now in my faith. And I'm, but there's an interesting thing about that admission is that when you're straightforward about it, probably God is working on you. Like in a way, when you're very honest about where you are and you're struggling, you're, you're backsliding or whatever the word is you might want to use for that, you know, when we're honest about it, there's still something, I think, going on, uh, hopefully spiritually, to turn you around. But if the answer is, I don't know, I don't know, I've never really thought about it. You know, how am I doing in my faith? Well, I've been a Christian all my life. I go to church. I give money uh, pretty regularly. Well, what's regularly? Well, once every uh, six weeks. You know, that's not regular. It's, uh, in my opinion, maybe you think it is. Maybe you think we just need to check in with our, our congregation once in a while, but I don't think so. I think you need to be there every week, and uh, you can miss weeks for different things. There's obviously reasons why that happens. There might be some really good reasons, but we need to be part of a fellowship, and I think you need that for a lot of reasons, not just because it's 
it's commanded, I think is it's a command when we're told in Hebrews to do not give up on meeting together. It, that doesn't say every week, but I think it means more than every six weeks, right? Somewhere there's, there is what it means to meet regularly, and it's got to be more than what that consultant had to say. That person's doing surveys of, you know, church health and stuff. Um, how do you get rooted into Christ? How do you make sure that you are? How do you grow those roots, roots deep? What gives you spiritual energy and vitality, uh, identity, ultimately, your identity in Christ. See, I think those things are things that we should focus on and be aware of those things in everything in our life, in every conversation, and especially with every relationship we have. Because I'll tell you what, if you're looking for some vitality, if you're saying, you know what, and I know a lot of you have called me with this, you know, you're tired of church, you're tired of the routine, you're tired of the you know, the same thing every Sunday, up and down and whatever. I get that. You know, many of you aren't tired with that at all. You're refreshed by it. Other people, you know, you, you've gotten kind of frustrated. You know why I think that is for a lot of us, if you're a believer? It's because we've made church religion and not this relationship of being rooted and built up in Christ. Because if you are, then you realize something. You realize that your purpose is actually to minister and make disciples to the people that God has placed in your life. It matters greatly. The people that you work with or that you go to school with, the people who are your neighbors, that, you know, if you want some energy in your faith, if you are looking for energy and vitality in your faith and you want to feel and understand more your identity in Christ, then do something that is disciple-making that you're intentional about, meaning you don't just do the routines of faith. You do those things in order to build yourself up for your disciple-making, right? Pray, start praying. You just start with prayer. You can start right now, right after the show. In four minutes, you can start praying for the people that God has placed in your life, your family, your coworkers, classmates. Uh, in the Bible, that group of people is your, your oikos. It's your relational world. The Greeks use that term to mean relational world, the people that you interact with on a regular basis. It's a huge, important concept. If you're a sociologist, you learn about this now, that societies are built on oikos. It's the idea that, you know, there are certain people in your life who impact your life and you impact theirs. That is your oikos. You've got one. It's not a lot of people, you know, 10 people maybe in that group. And my contention is that that's the group of people that you're to minister to at any given moment. That changes, right? People move away. You move. There's that the that group of people changes throughout your life. But while those people are there now, how serious are you at making sure that you're an ambassador to Christ for those people? Do you pray for them at all and pray for their salvation if they're not saved or pray for their growing in their faith if they are saved? Because some of those people in your life hopefully are Christians. Hopefully you have that fellowship and you're in their oikos. They're hopefully praying for you. Maybe you're in a small group Bible study or you've got something going on. But some of the people, hopefully in your your sphere of influence, this area where you live, hopefully they're not Christian. Hopefully you know people who aren't because you have a mission there. And if all of your friends are Christian, go out and find somebody who's not a Christian and just love them. You don't need to go out there and uh, tell them what they're doing wrong. You know, you go out there and befriend them. And you begin with prayer. That's something you can do right now. So make a list. You can write them down. Who are those people? It's not a prayer list of like people I need to pray for in general because they're sick or because I love them or they're my cousins or whoever. You should pray for those people. Don't misunderstand. But who are the people that you do life with that you can't help it? They sit next to you every day. 
They live across the hall. They are your roommate, and it's assigned by the school, and you can't do anything about it. They're your boss. They're your coworker. They're your employees. You work with them. That's who it is. They're on your team, your softball team or whatever. Figure out who those people are. Narrow that list down a little bit and pray for them and ask God, how can I be used in their life? And I'll tell you what, if you do that, your faith begins to have tremendous vitality and energy because it changes. It's not about the quality of the worship service and whether or not I relate to the sermon and whether or not they're going to sing my favorite songs and whether or not I get to serve in this way or don't serve in this way. It becomes a, Your faith becomes about those people and whether or not they're going to know the love of Jesus through you. Or if you invite them to church, whether or not you're going to sit with them and have a really good conversation with them. I promise you that if you do this, the Lord blesses it because this is what he wants. He wants you to be with him, and he wants those people he's placed in your life to be with him, and his plan is you. His plan for them is you being in their life. And when you realize that, you realize your identity is in Christ. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. That's who you are. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, uh, you are your whole self in Christ. It's an amazing thing to do that. Can I encourage you to do that Uh, wherever you are in your faith? Think about the people that God has placed in your life. It's called your oikos. Pray for them. Ask God to use you in their life. Invest in them. Take them out to coffee. You know, you pay for it. You go to a movie or something with them. Go to, you know, Sound of Freedom or go to, you know, a movie that's got a message in it or something interesting that you can talk about and then go talk with them afterward. Just get to know them. You know, befriend people. And you'll be amazed at how God uses you. And what happens also for you is that you have a better reason to go to the Scriptures yourself. You have a better reason to go to church. Your worship gets better. All of it gets better because you're doing what God wants you to do. Let me encourage you to do that. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can get our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, KKLA.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on every day from 3 to 5. God bless you. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.